Welcome to CHP Conversations, a podcast series produced by the VCU College of Health Professions. This series includes conversations with faculty, students, and alumni who exemplify our mission to create influential leaders in healthcare. I'm Jared Schultz, and I am in the Department of Rehabilitation Counseling here at the College of Health Professions at Virginia Commonwealth University. And I'm joined today by Dr. Kana Iwanaga, uh, who is an assistant professor in the Rehabilitation Counseling Department. Uh, she received her PhD in Rehabilitation Counselor Education from the University of Wisconsin-Madison and has worked at Northern Illinois University as an assistant professor prior to coming here to VCU. She's a certified rehabilitation counselor and a licensed professional counselor in Wisconsin. Dr. Iwanaga has five years of professional experience working as a rehabilitation counselor for the Japanese government, two years as a researcher at the National Institute of Vocational Rehabilitation, and three years as a lecturer at the Polytechnic University in Tokyo. She's published over 80 peer-reviewed articles and seven book chapters in the last six years. Her research program has a focus on evidence-based rehabilitation counseling practices, demand-side employment, secondary transition, validation of psychological and vocational assessment instruments for people with disabilities, um, and validating psychosocial intervention strategies for improving psychosocial and vocational outcomes of people with chronic health conditions and disabilities. Uh, Kana, it's great to have you with me. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have this opportunity. No, it's, it's, it, I'm looking forward to the conversation. Um, we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about uh, an article um, that you were the lead author on. It was published in the Journal of Occupational Rehabilitation, and the title is Evaluating the Effect of Work Incentives Benefits Counseling on Employment Outcomes of Transition Age and Young Adult Supplemental in Security Income Recipients with Intellectual Disabilities, <laughs> a Case Control Study. Long title. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Long title, but very important, very important topic. Uh, incidentally, uh, for our listeners, this article won an award from the American Rehabilitation Counselor Association um, for uh, it was the second place award for the research award this last this last year. So recognized by your peers as being an important contribution uh, to the to the literature. Um, once again, long title, but we're going to pick some of that apart so it'll make more sense. Um, but let's go ahead and just get started. Um, so you're talking in this study about the concept of work incentives benefits counseling and um, and how that impacts the employment outcome. And we'll get into a little bit later into what work incentive benefits counseling is. Mm -hmm. But first of all, what are, what are some of the main findings of the study? Yeah, this study provided empirical evidence for the effectiveness of work incentives benefits counseling as a means of positively influencing employment and earnings outcomes for low-income transition age youth with intellectual disabilities. The group which received work incentives benefits counseling had higher rates of employment and higher hourly wages than group which didn't receive work incentives benefits counseling. Okay, so those who had that benefits counseling, just to kind of shorten that down a little oh, bit, because yeah, sure. that's, a, that's, a, that's a mouthful. <laughs> um, but that benefits counseling, 
um, actually had higher rates of employment and higher hourly wages. That's right. Oh, that's fascinating. That's, that's a good outcome to, to see. Mm-hmm. Um, why, why, why did you start on this research? Why focusing on the benefits yeah. of counseling? So research has shown that many individuals with intellectual disabilities have a strong desire to work in competitive integrated employment. At the same time, many of them are also recipients of benefits from disability supports, such as social security disability insurance, supplemental security income, state or federal workers' compensation, and public health care programs such as Medicare or Medicaid. So the, the fundamental issue then is when someone receives those benefits and then they start to work in a competitive environment, their income could impact that. Exactly. The, yeah, yes. So um, historically, some, you know, when I first started in the field, we would sometimes refer to that as um, disincentives to work because you don't want your benefits to mm-hmm. go down that you're receiving. That's right. But you want to be out there working and in the community. And so the important piece of that is helping them to understand that impact that the work is going to have on the benefits. Exactly. Okay. Um, how much do you think uh, these disability support programs, how much support do they provide mm-hmm. different households? And like yeah. total percentages, that uh, Sure. Ahead. So for low-income households with children receiving SSI, such disability support on average provide almost half of total household income. Even more alarmingly, 44% of these families live below the federal poverty threshold, even after including disability-related benefits. Therefore, given these economic stressors, many individuals and families are understandably highly concerned about potential disruption or reduction of public benefits and eligibility resulting from increased employment activity and earnings. These concerns become as a significant barriers to people with disability gaining employment, increasing earnings, and achieving ongoing career development. Wow. So you, you the focus of the study was on um, uh, young adults and transition age children. Yes. Um, you know, so with so much of the support of the household, you know, like almost half of the household right. income being provided, but for through that child's benefit. Exactly. You could understand how a parent would be like, well, hang on, <laughs> you're not going to go get a job. We need that revenue and we don't want it to be impacted. Mm-hmm. How is Social Security, is, is the Social Security Administration aware of the problem and have they been doing anything to try and address it? Of course they did. And Social Security Administration has been easing some of the restrictions to encourage beneficiaries to work. However, benefit recipients may be unfamiliar with the work incentives built into Social Security Administration programs. Also, they may not understand fully how employment will change their benefits. This uncertainty contributes to the widespread underemployment and unemployment of people with disabilities. And that's understandable. I mean, those programs can be very complex. It it can be hard to understand everything that goes into it. And so someone who isn't working in that all the time may not 
have the background to understand how it impacts That's right. them. So what can we do to, to, to change the situation? Are there any strategies? Yeah, it is very important to provide some services that help them clear the uncertainty. So one of the effective services is work incentives benefits counseling, so which is called benefit counseling. Okay. So it seems like that's a very important element of the employment process. Can you tell me a little bit about what specifically work incentive benefits counseling is? Sure. Work incentives benefits counseling gives social security disability program beneficiaries the information they need to make informed decision about work. It helps them understand how earning money may affect disability payments, health care, and other publicly funded benefits. This information is essential to getting and keeping a job. A benefit counselor assesses a consumer's situation and goals, identify available options, and manage benefits and work activity to help the consumer achieve their goals. Benefit counseling allows those receiving the services and support to make informed choice about their level of work activity and achieve economic self-sufficiency. So it's a very important part of the employment process when you're working with someone with a disability uh, and you're starting to look at work opportunities and what wages they'll be making and the impact of that. Is there any evidence to show that that benefits counseling has an impact on outcomes? Yeah, there are a lot. Work incentives benefit counseling services contribute to achieving the full employment potential of public benefits recipients and reducing dependence on state and federal benefits and increasing financial well-being. Research has suggested that the beneficiaries who receive benefit counseling services achieve significantly greater improvement in earning, employment, utilization of work incentives, and transitioning of benefit roles, including SSI or SSDI. For example, research have shown youth who received work incentives benefits counseling earn more than twice than those who have not received benefit counseling and engage in more than four times over substantial gainful activity. Uh, those are very significant outcomes. Exactly. Yeah. You know, as I was reading your study, um, one of the things that stuck out to me was the idea of using the benefits counseling as as an independent variable, essentially, it's it, this is one of the this is the intervention, and right. I've always thought of it in all of my work as oh, it's something that we do. I guess I never really thought of it as an <laughs> intervention in and of itself, but it's it's really some great data to show that it can be very effective mm-hmm. in increasing the the quality of the outcomes. Yeah. So, Kana, why why did your research focus on transition age? youth with intellectual disabilities? Yeah, that is a good question. In the United States, transition age youth with disability receiving SSI need to be pre-qualified as adult recipients of SSI when they turn to 18 years old. If they decide to be pre-qualified, 
they may never seek work. This not only leads to high long-term cost to taxpayer, taxpayer as a result of ongoing benefits, but also confines the individuals to a high likelihood of sustained lifelong poverty. Therefore, the period where youth benefits of SSI terminate is a significant milestone for transition age youth with disabilities in terms of potential career development. If more transition age youth make the choice not to pre-qualified for SSI due to work or post-secondary education aspirations, there is a potential for vast reduction in the number of people dependent on lifelong disability benefits, and increase in those able to enter the middle class. Among the transition age youth with disabilities, many studies have shown that individuals with intellectual disability continue to earn sub-minimum wages, remain engaged in highly segregated settings, and live socially isolated lives. Therefore, we focus on transition age youth and young adults with intellectual disability who received social security income. Wow, so major transition period in their life, not only in terms of work and moving into adulthood, but the services that they're eligible for and how those transition right. as well. Could you talk to, to us a little bit about the details of the study and kind of get into um, what it is that you were trying to accomplish? Sure. We used the United States Department of Education, Rehabilitation Services Administration Case Service Report Dataset, which is called RSA911 Dataset. This data includes information regarding demographics, disability, service interventions, employment status at closure, and some work-related information. The inclusion criteria for this study were ages from 18 to 35, a primary diagnosis of intellectual disability at intake, SSI recipients at intake, and received vocational rehabilitation services. We used propensity score matching analysis for this study. This is a mathematical analysis method designed to minimize the effect of confounding variables when estimating treatment effects using observational data. There were 1,046 transition age youth and young adults with intellectual disability who received benefit counseling in the RSA911 dataset. Propensity score matching was able to identify same number, so which means 1,046 transition age youth and young adults with intellectual disability who did not receive benefit counseling that match the prominent characteristics of the treatment group. The, treat the prominent characteristics included age, gender, race, special education, low income, and referral sources. So you went into the national data set. You were able to pull out your intervention group and your control group. They were matched on those, those demographics, so you were able to control for those. So, Connor, what were some of the things that you found? Sure. We found that benefit counseling group 
were more likely to achieve competitive integrated employment. More detail 59% of benefit counseling group versus 44% of control group. Also, work incentive benefit counseling group earned higher hourly wages, which is average $10.18, while control group average, hour, uh, average hourly wages was $9.50. On the other hand, the benefit counseling group worked shorter average hours per week than the control group. One of the possible reasons of this result is that the cash cliff threshold for substantial gainful activity was $1,180 per month in 2018 when this data was gathered. When earnings exceed this amount by even $1, the entire SSDI cash benefit may be suspended and this beneficiary can be terminated from the program. Therefore, younger adults with intellectual disability who receive SSI or SSDI are mindful of the cash cliff and potential loss of their financial and health benefits. Because of this, the benefit counseling group may work this hour not to exceed this cash cliff. So someone not familiar with the program okay. might look at the the average the lot the drop in average hours worked to the people who receive benefit counseling and wonder, well, <laughs> why would they work less? And the reality of it is, is that may be helping them to maintain their benefits exactly because there's this cash cl- cliff where if you earn you know just a little bit more, your your monetary benefits are reduced or in the case of SSDI discontinued altogether. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that's an interesting finding that it it's kind of seems counterintuitive <laughs> because you would think, yeah. well, why would you want to work less? But it actually is a good thing in keeping the benefits. That's right. What are some of the the applied implications of the research and 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 how does this help us move the field forward? Mm-hmm. As I talked, this study provided empirical evidence for the effectiveness of benefit counseling as a means of positively influencing employment and earnings outcomes for low-income transition age youth with intellectual disabilities. Benefit counseling should be a fundamental component for evidence-based employment service. However, descriptive analysis of the data used in this study showed that just 1 in 10 participants received benefit counseling as a service. This strikingly low rate of participation in a benefit counseling is very concerning and it should be addressed more comprehensively in policy and practice. With the passage of the Workforce Innovation and Opportunity Act of 2014 and the Rehabilitation Act of 1973 as amended, Vocational rehabilitation agencies are required to strengthen their capacity to emphasize transition services for transition age youth with disability that can lead to meaningful career and economic security to facilitate entry to the middle class. Benefit counseling should be provided directly to the 
individuals and families during transition planning and programming as a core part of development of employment goals. Addressing potential concerns of individuals and families about the impact of employment earnings early by providing benefit counseling may contribute to improved outcomes by changing employment transition goals and increasing consideration of transition experiencing leading to competitive integrated employment. In addition, given the potential impact of misinformation to limit or dismiss potential employment opportunities, other stakeholders such as case manager, employment specialists, social workers, or teachers should be informed about basic but correct facts regarding the impact of employment on state federal benefits. This information about the fundamental of the impact of competitive integrated employment benefits should be embedded in coursework and professional development for all professionals who work in areas related to the employment of people with disabilities. So it's really interesting to me how this is such a critical thing. And and you talked as you were responding to my question about, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, applications and how this can be applied is, you know, this, it seems like such a fundamental need. And yet there is a lot of misinformation. There is a lot of misunderstanding Mm -hmm. um, and, and ignorance about the programs. Right. Which can get in the way of the 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 individuals with disabilities reaching their full potential in the workplace. Exactly. Yeah. No, 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 no. So, Kana, thank you so much. Very enlightening and and very important element of the the service provision process. Um, I appreciate the work that you're doing in this area. Um, do you have any other final thoughts about the importance of benefits counseling? Oh, not really. <laughs> <laughs> we've we've covered it in the research. <laughs> yeah, I I covered in my research. <laughs> okay. Thank you again, and I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. <laughs>